Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please take a seat and we listen to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Well, hi, I'm Brian Harris, if you don't know me, and I serve as pastor at large here at Kerry. And my privilege to bring the unexpected story of Pentecost, the unexpected story of Pentecost. And let me start with two stories. Story number one, just, just imagine, it's 2,000 years ago, uh, you're a, relig a religious reporter back in Jerusalem. Let's just say that you work for the equivalent of the, the ABC back in, in Jerusalem. And uh, you've, you've, you've become aware of the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is the day Jesus is crucified. It's been Passover, heaps of people in the city. Crucifixion's taken place. And you're reporting it that night on the news. And I imagine you would say something like this. Uh, very distressing scenes in Jerusalem today. Uh, three crucifixions, uh, always very sobering affairs, horrible ways for people to die. Uh, two of them were fairly predictable, two common criminals. Uh, but uh, many people were quite distressed that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified as well. He had been a rabbi who was going around and teaching. And he had taught many quite remarkable things that attracted the attention of many people. One of them was that you should love your enemies. Well, it seemed that they didn't love him back. Uh, and today was the result when he was crucified. A reminder that the Romans are in control of the city and of this nation. And that if you stand out a little bit too much, uh, you, are unlike you are likely to meet a very unpleasant death. Jesus is, of course, just one of many uh, teachers who've gone around in this day and age, who've landed up with a sticky end. Uh, we remember, of course, that there was John the Baptist who was beheaded, but there have been dozens of others, uh, religious upstarts in this very unsettled time in Jerusalem. And you might finish the news at that point there, reporting on the death of Jesus. If a few days later, maybe you would say, 
actually, there was some interesting news today, a little bit of a stir. Uh, we heard that uh, some of the disciples of Jesus, who you might remember was crucified a few days ago, uh, claimed that they'd seen him resurrected from, from the dead. Um, now, of course, we'd normally not pay any attention to that, but uh, when people went to actually look for where Jesus had been buried, his body could not be found, uh, which probably means that his disciples stole it. Uh, once they, in fact, are caught with the body, that could be very serious for them, uh, but at this point in time, they're going around and they're spreading these rumors that Jesus of Nazareth has risen again. And you might say that on the news. And then some more days would go by, and maybe after 40 days you would say, uh, you might recall that uh, we have been telling that some of the disciples of Jesus have been saying that uh, he has been spotted, risen from the dead. Uh, his body still hasn't been found. But today, they reported that actually he had made his final appearance. And apparently, <laughs> this is what he said to them. He said that he was about to ascend to heaven, and they said that they saw him go up to heaven. So there are going to be no more appearances, apparently, except that one day he's going to come back again. And they said that they're now going to have to go to, what, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the very ends of the world, telling people about Jesus. Like, that's going to happen. I mean, they're not even pretending that they've seen him anymore. They're not saying he's been whisked up to heaven. How long do you think this story will last for? Probably not very long. Uh, I think maybe they'll kind of gather around. They, they're kind of trying to still hold on to the story of Jesus, even though he's dead. Uh, I'd give it maybe 10 days, and then we'll, well, should, should we have a little ABC competition here? I mean, what are your odds that by 10 days' time, it will all be forgotten? I think that that's what we'll bet on, and I think you'd be a winner. Story number one. Story number two. It's almost 2,000 years later, 1996, a group of about 20, 25 people or so gather. It's actually Pentecost Sunday, uh, and they gather on this site here. Their, their median age is 25, just a youthful group uh, of people, 25 medium age, and they commit to starting a church that will be inside out, that will be kind of world-faced and will make a difference because they'll start a school. They, they actually go and they, they choose a block of land uh, and they, they're very young and naive. And so they choose a block of land that apparently is going to really reach the world, but they choose a block of land where there is no one else around. And like it's this block of land in the middle of nowhere and there are no houses around and they start a school and they expect people to come. And today, 26 years, 25 years later, we sit in that place in this church that was started by those 25-year-olds, really just the youth group of the church. Uh, and we sit as a community of thousands of people who gather on this site, in the Forestdale site, and you say, how did that happen? It happened on Pentecost Sunday, because actually Kerry was born on Pentecost Sunday, just as actually all churches are born on Pentecost Sunday, but Kerry literally did actually start on Pentecost Sunday, that was 25 years ago, kind of saying that maybe God could do something. And I wanted to start like this because I wanted to say that this passage which Lynn read to us, this passage of Pentecost, is about the birthday of the church. It is about something happening against all the odds. It's about, I mean, this series is unexpected stories. And there genuinely has to be no story that was more unexpected than the transformation of the world. Because realistically, if you'd looked at Jesus and looked at his ministry, as it came to an end, well, how many people were there gathered on the day of Pentecost? 120, we're told. So after three years of 
remarkable teaching, after three years of astonishing miracles, after three years of doing so much, how many people are actually loyal to Jesus? All 120 people. It's, it's not actually an astonishing success, is it? And you would have imagined that it would quietly just fade away, just fade away. And perhaps no more so than on the day of ascension, because in Acts chapter 1, we're told of, of, of that ascension day. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Ascension Day. Jesus disappears from the earth 40 days after his resurrection. And the disciples have been given this extraordinary mission. I mean, you must go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the world, telling them that there's this new message of transformation. And, and if you were a disciple, I imagine you would have been there saying, I mean, that's very nice, but like, how? How are we actually going to do this? What, what, what's the key that will unlock the door? And the answer is given on this day of Pentecost 10 days later. I mean, it had been foreseen in other ways long before. Zechariah 4.6 had said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And as these 120 people gather on Pentecost day, this this remarkable day. It was, it was actually during one of the, the, the Jewish religious festivals. So the Jews had three main festivals when they were supposed to come together. They were Passover, they were booths, and they were the Feast of Weeks. And Pentecost happened during the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks was the start of the harvest season, quite symbolic actually, because they would gather together and the, and the religious festivals were the time where if you were Jewish, didn't matter where you lived, you were supposed to go to Jerusalem and you're supposed to honor God. And the Feast of Weeks, you came to honor God for the start of the harvest. So, 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 so it was scheduled for, for 50 days after Passover. And at this time, you would bring some of the first of the new harvest that was going to come. And so everyone's gathered in Jerusalem, including the 120 disciples of Jesus. And as they gather on this Feast of Weeks to pray, it's like, it's so symbolic, isn't it? This is just the start of the harvest, but actually it tells of a new harvest that's about to come. Because as they are praying together, we're told that suddenly there's like the sound of a mighty wind, and it comes gushing in, and as it comes gushing in, there are these tongues of fire, and it descends on each one of them. And as, 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 as that happens, they, 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 they start to speak, and there's this huge noise that starts, and they start to spill out into the streets. And as they're speaking, because this is one of, one of the Jewish festivals, the city is very, very full, and there are people from everywhere there. Uh, people come, and they listen, and they're astonished because they can tell that these people are Galileans. Jesus was originally a Galilean as well, and his 120 disciples were Galileans, and, and they spoke with a particular dialect. But as they speak, each one of them hears their own language being spoken. It's, it's quite miraculous. And they wonder how this is taking place. And in this, this miracle of suddenly hearing and understanding what's been spoken about, they, they wonder if God is doing something new. And they ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? 
But others, we're told, just laugh and say, they must be drunk. I mean, let's not think too deeply about this. This is a fun festival. Let's not worry too much. It's a remarkable day. And, and literally thousands of people come to faith on this Pentecost day. And, and the church is born. So three years, the ministry of Jesus, 120 disciples. The day of Pentecost, thousands suddenly come to faith. It's, it's a new era that gets ushered in. And, and, and if you, I mean, you can look at this account and you can look at it in different ways. So, so if you want to think of it in terms of like being a bit of a theologian, what would you say? Well, well, you would say, I guess a number of things are happening here. It's the fulfillment of a prophecy. That's actually what Peter picks up on. So as Peter jumps up and speaks to the crowd, Peter says, what's happening here as you hear all these languages being spoken and, and you can understand them and, and they've been spoken by people who have no way of knowing what that language is. Uh, what's happening? Well, well, remember what Joel said, Joel 2, uh, verse 28, and he speaks about the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And if you go to the prophecy of Joel, this is what it says, and, and I'll read it out to you. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone, and everyone, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, If you're there and you see this happening, you suddenly see the Spirit coming on ordinary people and you say, that's what Joel was speaking about. That, 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 that's what Joel was saying when he said, this day is going to come when the Spirit will be on all people. Because this is the Spirit. You can see these tongues of fire that have come down and you can hear that they're doing something miraculous. This is the day that's spoken about. This is the last day. And, and, and when Jews spoke about the last day, they, they, they didn't mean the last day in terms of, of, of the last day, you know, 24 hours time, this is all over, but the last big act of God before the end. And, and, and we today, even though this is 2,000 years later, we would still say that we as the community of God's people, we are in the last day or the last act of what God does, spreading the good news of, of, of God, a, a message that is no longer just for Jews, but for everyone. And, and, and a time when the Spirit can come upon all people. Now, 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 let's understand then that it is not that God's Spirit did not act in Old Testament times. That is not true. God's Spirit often acted, often came upon people. But when God's Spirit came, God's Spirit came upon people for very specific tasks, and they, they needed to do something. And very often when that task was over, then the Spirit would actually go. Think of Samson, for example. So the Spirit would come upon him, and he could do amazing things, but then the Spirit left. And you might remember how in his final act, the Spirit comes upon him, and he pushes the temple over. And, and, and then it's over. So, so the Spirit comes sometimes for remarkable acts that God is wanting to do at a particular time. But, says Joel, the day is coming when the Spirit will come on all people for all times. And the big transformation that comes, come, comes about is not that the Spirit is sometimes available, but that the Spirit is available for everyone and at all times. So take a psalm like Psalm 23, where, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and he carries on and says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I fear no evil because you are with me. 
you are with me. Now, 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 people had read that beautiful psalm so many times before, but if you were Jewish, you would say, yes, that's right. Wasn't David a very fortunate person? Because David was the king, and because he was the king, he had the spirit. And so he could say, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me, but that was because he was the king. I mean, if I'm just an ordinary person, I can't claim that because I'm not one of, I'm not a king, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a priest, therefore I am spiritless. But, Joel says, a day will come when actually my spirit will be poured out on all people. And on that Pentecost day, as people start to speak in all these different languages, suddenly people say, aha, this is what the prophet spoke about. This new era where everyone counts, everyone is included, everyone is able to have the spirit, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the first thing that, 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 that you'll probably say. If you also are a little bit of a theologian, you look at this passage and say, really, really interesting, because notice the role of language here. Uh, we're told what? Well, 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 let's go. Let's see what the passage says to us. So Acts chapter 2, uh, as, as it takes place, we're told, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own naked language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, and Cyrene, visitors from, from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, do you remember Genesis chapter 11? In Genesis chapter 11, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And in Babel, humanity just has one language at that point in time. And we're told that the human race gets together and they say, let us build ourselves a city and a tower that will reach to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. And, and, and as they plot and as they plan how they will build this great empire together that is so powerful that they can each reach, even reach to heaven, you know, a tower that gets all the way to heaven. As, as they do that, suddenly God says, Mm, I see something evil in your hearts. Let me do a little thing. And God gives them languages. And suddenly people start speaking in different languages and we're told that in no time, instead of cooperating and building a city and a tower that reaches to heaven, they scatter to the furthest corners of the earth and their languages divide them. Their languages divide them. You see, they had been speaking a language of what we could call empire, a language of let us get together and let us build a name for ourselves and let us be so powerful that we can even get to heaven all on our own. That's what we're going to do. And God says, okay, here's some languages are, pumps, and now you can't cooperate anymore and you can't actually even work together. And at Pentecost, the exact reversal takes place. We come with all our different languages and people from all over the world come together and they hear a new language, the language of Jesus and the language that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And suddenly what keeps us apart doesn't keep us apart anymore, but draws us together. As actually we see, goodness, God must be doing something because we actually are all responding to the same message and we're all being drawn together and we all hear this message together that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Do, do you see how it's the reversal of Babel? That suddenly it's not about, you see, Babel was about building an evil human empire. Pentecost is about building the kingdom of God a new kingdom where God reigns and where it's God's love is in control. It is the reversal of what happened before. So, so, so what's happening here? On the one hand, it is the fulfillment of a prophecy that no longer is having the spirit an exclusive thing just for some people. The spirit has come for everyone because the last chapter has been entered into. Secondly, no longer do you have to build an evil empire, but you can build the kingdom of God. And what used to divide us when we build the kingdom of God actually unites us. And the fact that we're different people no longer matters anymore. And the fact that we come from different nations and speak different languages, that doesn't matter because, because the language of Jesus is a universal language and it draws everyone together. So, 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 so that's a second thing you'd say about what was happening there. And then, of course, you'd say the third thing, that, that Jesus' promise had come true. Remember John 14, verse 16? Jesus says... Uh, he's told his disciples, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go away. And the disciples are distressed and saying, you, you know, what will happen to us? And Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will send you the comforter or the paraclete as it is in, in, in Greek or the one who is called to be alongside you or the one who is called to be your advocate. And as the Spirit comes on that day, the words that Jesus had promised actually come true. And the disciples suddenly realize Jesus is gone. Jesus has not gone. Jesus has sent someone else. There is a comforter. There's one who is with us and will never, ever go away from us. So, so, okay, you say, okay, if you want to understand this passage and you want to be a good biblical scholar, you'd say, okay, so this is Acts chapter 2. How do you understand in broader biblical context? You understand it as the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. You understand it as the reversal of Genesis 11. You understand it as, as keeping the promise of Jesus, that Jesus will send the spirit who he's promised to send. And, and, and you know, if you've got that, that grasp, then I think you have a very good grasp of, of you know, how, how Pentecost functions. But I can see that some of you are like, okay, well, thank you very much, Brian. Very interesting and all that. But, uh, you know, is that, that all you're going to say today? Uh, hold, hold on. Let's, let's tap into what this passage is really saying to us today. Because don't go too quickly over this little insight that, that suddenly the Spirit is for everyone. That Pentecost says the Spirit is for you and the Spirit is for me. It says that Jesus promised, I will send you the comforter and he will be with you. Well, well, it talks about a journey that takes place in us. You, you see, on the one hand, Pentecost is this remarkable birthday of the church, this, this unexpected story that against all the odds, the church is born. It's, it's the story of Carrie, of, of an unexpected birth of a particular church that, 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 that suddenly births and happens because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. But at a much more personal level, it is about the Spirit comes for you and the Spirit comes for me. It means that we stop thinking our lives in terms of me, myself, and I. Because Pentecost says you are no longer alone. Always think in terms of we, not me. And Pentecost is the journey from me to we. Because I'm no longer just me as an individual. The Spirit lives within me. And I'm never actually apart from God. And, and, and we need to pause and to say, oh my goodness, this is, this is a truly unexpected story. 
that actually it's not just the Spirit comes for the church, but the Spirit comes and dwells inside of me. And, and what does that mean? Well, I think all our spiritual growth is the journey of recognizing more and more that God lives within me and becoming more and more comfortable and more and more friendly with the God who is inside of me and listening more and more and more closely to the God who actually does live inside of me. Let, 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 let me give you a couple of examples. Um, I was a young pastor, pastoring in um, Shlonga Baptist Church in, in Durban, and one of the men in our congregation, Howard Clothier, and he gave me every permission to tell the story. In fact, he, he instructed me to tell the story. Uh, Howard had had really poor health for, for a long period of, of time. But uh, in the final 18 months of his, his life, a very difficult medical history just became an absolutely impossible medical history. And he faced one catastrophe, catastrophe after another. He went, went into renal failure. Uh, he had amputation of one leg. And in fact, just a matter of, uh, of days before he died, he, he had been due to have his second leg amputated. And as we journeyed with him as a congregation, like there's just one medical crisis after another. We would pray for him. We would hope for the best. But every, Everything just went wrong. Everything went wrong. And in those final months, I saw a lot of Howard. And, uh, and you know, he spoke a little bit about what his journey was like. And he realized that actually the likelihood was that he was going to die. And about 18 months before he actually did die, he, he said to me, so, so, so Brian, I've been a Christian for a long time now. But I've kind of largely been in charge of my own life. And I've realized that actually you can't always be in charge of your life. And I've got this feeling that I'm going going to this period of my life where everything's actually out of control and I'm, I can't control what happens to me anymore. And so I've made a decision that I want to really test whether, whether actually this Jesus thing is true. I mean, I know it's true. It's, I've, I've been a Christian a long time, but I really want to test whether it's true. And so I'm not, I'm not praying anymore that God's going to heal me or do anything like that. I'm just making one prayer. And my prayer is that God will be with me in this journey, and I will update you, and I will tell you. And uh, I'm going to be completely honest with you. And if it's like, if this is just the worst period in my life, then I'll say, it sucks. <laughs> it didn't happen. didn't work. But if he's with me, then I'll tell you that as well. And so I was his pastor, and I met with him quite often in those 18 months. And a matter of days before his, his death, I can still remember very, very clearly meeting with him. He said, Brian, you remember I said that I wanted to go this journey to see if God is with me? He said, this has been the worst period of my life. This has been the best period of my life. He said, I've never, ever felt so close to God. He said, I'm actually quite excited. He said, I've been in a lot of pain. I've had lots of sleepless nights, and I've had lots of really difficult things, but I made one prayer for this time. My prayer was not that I would be healed, because I didn't feel that was right. My prayer was just that God would be real with me through this period. And you know what? He has been. And you know, Brian, a few days' time, I'm due to have another amputation. Didn't actually happen. He died before it happened. I'm due to have another amputation. I don't know how much longer I've got, but, but I want you to tell your congregations, because you often tell them stories, I want you to tell them that they can absolutely trust God in their times of trouble. And you can say, and Howard Clothier said that you must say that because that was his experience. And so today I'm telling you the story of Howard Clothier who went through hell, as it were, and yet discovered that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil 
because you are with me. And he was saying right to the end, you know what? That's actually true. And it's not such a big deal. And it's okay when you go through it not alone, when you know that someone is with you. You see, at the most fundamental level, that's what Pentecost is about. Pentecost is saying you, you don't live alone and you don't have to live alone and we don't live alone. But the Spirit comes and lives inside of us and dwells inside of us. It, it can happen in multiple other ways. Uh, 2011, I spent a sabbatical at Carson Newman University. I was a visiting professor there and uh, was there for just six, six weeks. Rosemary wasn't able to join me. The kids were younger at, at that time. And uh, had a fairly busy time, and Easter was in the middle of the time that I was there. And I had been due to do a number of things over the Easter weekend. But suddenly at the last minute, absolutely everything fell over. And I realized that for the Easter weekend, for it was, I think it was going to be three and a half days, I was literally going to be completely on my own. And completely on my own, it was actually a bigger deal than it may sound, because Carson Newman is just in a, like this little country village a country village which completely deserts and empties over Easter. So I was literally on this, this large university campus in this little town where there was no one else except maybe one security guard or something like that. And uh, by temperament, I'm an extrovert. So, so I'm energized by being with people. And I'd never, ever been in this period where I was going to be for three and a half days entirely on my own and this in a Zoomless world. And, and I kind of just thought, you know, everything fall over and thought, how am I going to get through this three and a half days? I need to be with people. I just, just must have contact with other people. And, uh, and I can remember actually praying at one point, Lord, please help me to get through this time because I really don't like being alone so much. And God just said, but you aren't alone. You aren't alone. You are never alone. Never alone. And, and you see, that's the message of Pentecost. You are never alone. And, and, and actually, something shifted in me, and it shifted fairly, fairly permanently. I actually rather love days alone, because actually, sometimes it's when you're alone that you become conscious that God is with you. Be, be, because you see, the problem for us is not that God is not with us, but that we are usually so busy that we're not listening to the Spirit of God with us. And sometimes it is only when we move into slightly more extreme, extreme periods that we actually stop long enough to listen. And, 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 and the trouble with the Spirit is that the Spirit is like a really quiet friend who, who isn't a chatterbox and who waits for you to ask them. And, and I don't know if you've got any people like that that you know. I mean, you, you might be in their company and, and you find that you're doing all the talking and all the talking and all the talking and then, then suddenly you think, oh, and what do you think about that? And, and you invite them to speak. And when you invite them to speak, they say things, and you say, wow, that's really profound. And the Spirit is, is rather like that, always with us, but not intruding. We need to stop, and we need to listen, and we need to say, God, what are you saying? Then, then, let me be even more practical. So, so this week, Wednesday, so, so completely up to date. Wednesday, I'm going into day, pretty much like most of my days, got a long to-do list, things that I need to, need to get done today. On that list was a phone call that I needed to make. Somebody had asked me to phone them, and I've got to be honest, I really didn't want to make the phone call because this person's a fairly needy person. I thought, I'm going to be trapped for ages on this call, and I don't want to make it. And I was thinking, how can I make sure that this is a fairly quick call? And I kind of stacked up everything so that I had good excuses to get out of it quickly, and I phoned. And 
just as a phone, I feel that the Spirit just says, Ryan, don't hurry through this one. Just forget all your excuses. Just forget all your excuses. And so I go into the phone call, and it turns out to be like an hour and a half long phone call where I'm largely just listening, but at some point, just have the sense that this is not just a good conversation, it is a conversation that is doing good. It is a conversation that transforms, and a conversation that, that, that actually matters. And it was, it, it happened because actually, I'm not me, it's we. And together, the Spirit nudges us sometimes if we listen in and says, don't rush through that conversation, don't rush through that call, you are not alone, be responsive. God is here, and all who call on the name of the Lord can be saved, and it's for you, and it's for everyone. And I guess that all I'm really saying today is that, that because of Pentecost, because of Pentecost, Remember to be quiet enough to listen to the spirit who is inside of you, and it makes a difference. We're going to be doing that uh, as a church community uh, later on this week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday. We have this process of discerning because Pentecost is, is about the journey from me to we, but it's also the journey about us and moving from just being us to us plus one, us plus the spirit. You, you, you see, we are a church community together, but we're a church community together plus the spirit. And, and as carriers, we think about our future. Uh, we have done this a number of times before where we've kind of said, God, what's it that you're wanting us to do over the next five or so years? And, and God has led us in remarkable ways. And we're coming together this week to say, actually, God, we've got another five years ahead of us. How are you going to lead us? And, and I'd really encourage you to be part of that process because you're part of a community that is filled with the Spirit. And is wanting to listen to one another. We, we, we want to speak to one another and we want to say, Spirit, what is it that you are saying to us? Do, do, do you remember the promise of Jesus, Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You know, when we gather in the name of Jesus, the Spirit is there and guides us, but we need to listen. This is, this is what it means to be a faith community together. So... What does Pentecost say to us today? It's the unexpected story of a church being born. I mean, seriously, if you'd been a gambling person back on Pentecost Day, uh, 120 people at a prayer meeting, you would have said, oh, you know, they even say, they're even admitting that their Messiah has gone to heaven, presumably not coming back. They've even faced that. Nothing's going to happen, except that on that day, the Spirit came, and they were transformed, and they stood up, and they spoke, and thousands of people were saved because everyone who now calls on the name of the Lord will now be saved, and the world was changed. And 25 years ago, a little group of people, median age, 25, met on this site and said, we think that we can impact this area site where there were no houses in the middle of nowhere. And if you were a betting person, you would have said, it's seriously not going to happen, but it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And the spirit is in you and the spirit is in me. And when we gather together, the spirit guides us into all truth. This is the exciting part of being a Pentecost people. You never say, no, it can't happen. You say, what is God doing? For it is not by might nor by power, but by spirit.
And God is not interested in us building empires, but he is certainly interested in us building a kingdom of love where what previously divided us cannot unite us because when we speak the name of Jesus into our community, suddenly we become a people who live under the Lordship of God. And that is indeed a wonderful, wonderful thing. Welcome to Pentecost. Welcome to an unexpected story that could change everything for you. Let's pray together. And just as we quiet together, just ask yourself, have I made that journey from me to we? Like just listen to the spirit inside of you. I will send you another comforter, said Jesus, the advocate who will be with you forever. If you've never listened to the Spirit's voice, why not commit yourself to working on those spiritual muscles and starting to listen? Will you maybe let the Spirit change your agenda at some points this week? Because it's not just about me, it's about we and what God is wanting to do. Thank you, Lord, that we are not alone, but that your Spirit lives within us. Amen.